you are receiving this transmission, you are reclaiming the faith with Phil Baker on the Fourth Watch Radio Network. Welcome to episode 73 of Reclaiming the Faith, a podcast with a mission to reveal what the earliest Christians believed about the core issues facing us today. I'm your host, Phil Baker. Now, let's dig into history. Hey guys, thank you so much for taking time to listen to Reclaiming the Faith. Thank you for praying for me and my family. I am so pumped to be able to get to you part two of my interview with Dean Taylor. Dean is currently the president at Sattler College in Boston, Massachusetts, and he's published several books, most notably A Change of Allegiance. Before entering college, Dean served as a sergeant in the U.S. Army stationed in Germany and was there serving during the fall of the Berlin Wall. He's married to his wife, Tanya, and his father to three sons and three daughters. And this is definitely an interview that you don't want to miss. Guys, if you're blessed by this episode, I really want to encourage you to leave a rating and review on my iTunes channel, Reclaiming the Faith, which will help others find interviews like this so much easier. I also want to let you know that every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. on my YouTube channel, I'm going to be doing a verse-by-verse walkthrough of the book of Philippians. And that's going to be live, so you can participate in the chat as well. So I want to encourage you to go there. I'll have a link to my YouTube channel in the show notes as well. So you can go there and check out those Bible studies every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. Uh, All my resources, book, blog, music, Patreon account, all that stuff you can find on my website, Phil S. Baker. Well, I am blessed to be a part of Justin Falls Fourth Watch Radio Network along with BDK of Omega Frequency, who I do a monthly Q&A show with called Ready With An Answer. And if you have any questions about what we talk about here on Reclaiming the Faith or anything on the Fourth Watch or Omega Frequency, please, I want to encourage you to go ahead and email me at email Phil S. Baker, or you can write into BDK at, um, at his website, omegafrequency.com, and we'll be sure to to answer those questions on Ready With An Answer every month. All right, so the early Christian quotes that I use can generally be found on the CD-ROM version of the Anti-Nicene Fathers, which you can buy for a mere $5 on the Scroll Publishing website, scrollpublishing.com. Well, without any further ado, let's go ahead and get episode 73, part two of my interview with Dean Taylor rolling, and be sure to check out the links to Sattler College and Dean's book, A Change of Allegiance, in the show notes. Here we go. You know, as you were talking about like Isaiah 10 and uh, the Jeremiah 25 stuff, it was kind of making me, th- those those prophecies in a sense, it, it's making me think of like the cyclical nature of prophecy in a sense. Like we see mm. it uh, in a shadow sometimes uh, in the Old Testament getting fulfilled, but then there's like a greater reality coming and oftentimes it's in Christ and then maybe it comes again. Uh 
like, yeah. I, I was thinking about um, how those passages kind of relate to some eschatological prophecies that we read about in the New Testament. And um, kind of like in 2 Thessalonians 2, there's this great falling away that happens, mm-hmm. uh, that happens before the coming of the Lord, right? And us being gathered to him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it seems that the people of God, not in totality, but in a large portion, are dual-minded as they were uh, back then. Mm, uh, mm. And they seem to gravitate toward this this final earthly king, this antichrist uh, that comes on the scene, almost seeing him as the king they've always wanted. And um, kind of like, I guess you could say back in 1 Samuel, where they're like, give us a king, give us a king. And God, in his anger, yeah. gives them the yeah. king. Uh, but in his wrath, like he gets destroyed, kind of like Saul gets destroyed eventually because of his lawlessness, right? With the uh, witch of Endor. And, um, you know, in these times that we're living in, especially right now with the whole coronavirus thing, Mm -hmm. you can see a lot of Christians who are very like pro in their understanding of Romans 13, like God and country, we got to submit to the authorities. You can see a lot of Christians right now being very Mm -hmm. willing to uh, break these laws that mm-hmm. they believe in so so uh, passionately out of fear, or out of protecting their family. Um, and it's just really interesting how this mm. these feelings of maybe we're in the tribulation right now. Maybe this is the beginning of like, you know, I don't know, like the pale horse or the black horse or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a long-winded question. <laughs> I apologize for that. But like, in, in uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, Paul writes that during the tribulation, God's going to send a powerful delusion upon all those who did not receive the love of the truth. Um, and so do you think that there's a, that in that there's a warning for modern Christians that we should be concerned about? And then like, what do you think it means to receive the love of the truth? Mm, well, that's good. Yeah, you hit on a lot of uh, excellent points there. Um yeah, you know the the circular fulfillment of of prophecy, or the maybe that's a bad word because it sounds sort of the the multiple uh, yeah, yeah, fulfillment yeah. of prophecy is better. Yeah, um, is is important. And I, P- Peter Hoover talks about that in his book, um, not the Secret of the Strength, uh, the Mystery of the Mark, um, on how some of the early Anabaptists um, read that. And some of the things, and some, it is important because you know I'm I'm now getting my you know I'm I'm a historian and I'm I'm studying my doctorate in historical theology, and you can't help but see many times in, in church history where these things would be repeated. I mean, think of coronavirus compared to the plague. I mean, right, compare, plague of uh, Cyprian or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, uh, you've got um, think of World War II. Who would not have thought? Hitler was the the Antichrist, right. you know, during World War II, and the multiple um, fulfillment is an important concept for for a couple reasons. First of all, it even helps us understand some of the Old Testament prophecies. You know, when you see one really being Assyria, but yet another coming thing, and mm. and you see that, or the, even the fulfillment of some of the ones about Christ. Yeah. Um, but it's it's like they they get fulfilled in small ways, but but we dare not ever think um, the word of God is not true. And they right. will culminate and they will culminate and keep going until it's final, it's final complete fulfillment, you mm-hmm. know? And so the coming Jesus Christ will stand on this earth and he will, um, 
you know, that will be fulfilled. Like Revelation 11. Rising the sun to its going down. The the different antichrists and different things. And so, yeah, I could say that, you know, in the different plagues and the different times, I think it was right for the Christians to say, wow, this is a fulfillment of this passage. And I think it can now too. Mm. And so the, the point of this concept of, of reading prophecy, and it's very important, Peter Hoover brings this out in that book, is that we're always called on to, to say, how am I, how, how do the prophets warn me today? Mm. How does Amos rebuke you today with, um, with our sweatshops and with our, mm. you know, our different things. How is, how are you, um, feeding the mark of the beast now? I mean, right. instead of looking at it as some sort of a, a future thing, which I, I do believe it will be some sort of, uh, complete fulfillment one day. Right. But even now, if this is, if, if this is only the partial fulfillment or one of the small, you know, fulfillments, how am I giving into the beast already? How am I already, um, uh, um, being separate from the world? How am I, which side am I on when in the book of Revelation, the merchants are, are weeping when in a day their market crashed? And I'm looking here now in Boston, you know, mm. and literally, you know, I, I see this as a fulfillment today. Is that the final fulfillment? I don't know. As a historian, it's hard for me to make that kind of a judgment. Yeah. But that's really not the question. The question is today, am I the one weeping over the falling of the, of the markets and the different whatever, mm. or, or am I the one rejoicing that Christ is getting glorified and his nation is coming and, and mm. that his people are, are marching forward? And so, yeah, I, I think that that's really exciting a way to live through prophecy and read through the Bible and make sure that all the prophecies are continually speaking to us all the time. In this passage you write, I mean, you gave me, um, yeah, it's a warning. Um, and that's, I guess that's the scariest thing is this deluding spirit. I mean, I, I, I this is the taxi driver. I told you earlier before we get started on, you know, I, I got on a wrong taxi ride and I mean, I, I took the wrong train and I ended up in this way up east side of Boston and I got in an Uber and I rode home and I, and I just made a commitment, you know, to, to try to share the gospel when I'm in these mm. situations. And I figured this was a divine moment. And I t- started talking to this Uber driver about, you know, this and about the, the things. And he says, yeah, I never really thought about it. And, and, I, and I warned him. I warned him with this passage about, you know, you eventually get to a point where you keep pushing away God mm. and he's going to give you a deluding spirit. And I said, you know what? You're going to wake up one day and you're not even going to care. Mm-hmm. I said, and that's going to be the scariest thing. And when I was talking to him, he said, man, you're, you're scaring me about my future. I said, are you talking about heaven or hell future? He said, yeah. Mm-hmm. I said, well, that's what it's supposed to be. And I began to keep telling him you know, about this, this verse that you gave me and, and several others like this, that it's the love of truth. It's the, mm-hmm. the believing that God's word is alive and is active for us today. Mm-hmm. I mean, he even mentioned that he was having this Prick in his heart. He didn't use the word prick. He used this word pain in his heart. I took him to Acts chapter two, and it was a great ride all the way home of of, of sharing the gospel with him. When I got home, I left my phone in the car and I ran after him uh, with a car, blinking the lights, and 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 I, I finally stopped him. I said, "Hey man, I left my my phone in your car, but let me tell you, I've never taken a wrong train before, and I think God's trying to get your attention." Mm. <laughs> so. You know, I think we need to use these passages and realize that we are living in those kind of a days. And and 
try to waken people up as they are falling into the sleep and to truly have a love of the truth. And you're saying, what does it mean to have a love of the truth? I think it's simple, that we believe the word of God, every word of God is true, and that we want to put it into practice in our lives. Mm, that's good. That's good. Um, so like when, when you're when you're believe when you're saying to believe every word of God and really try to implement it in our lives, it, it kind of brings to mind this the Great Commission that we mm-hmm. see in Matthew twenty eight uh, about yes. going into the, all the world, making disciples of all you know all mankind, and teaching them to obey everything that I taught that Jesus taught. Right, um, mm-hmm. that that part of the Great Commission I see left out quite a bit, and I, I've seen in churches where they've replaced mm. that aspect of the great commission with basically making the disciple looks like teaching someone how to click PowerPoint forward, like, like in a service or teaching them how Mm. to work the lights or teaching them how to move a table Mm. when it's time for the pastor to speak. So it looks right on video. Like these kind of things become discipleship, just teaching someone, some Mm. other Christian, how to do what you do to perpetuate, to move forward the, um, the, the modern church basically. And the the aspect of uh, teaching people to actually obey Jesus' teaching is left out. And so I'm curious for you what what you believe it should look like for modern 21st century Christians to live out the Great Commission. Has it changed? Wow. You know, yeah. is, is it more, is it different for us today in the 21st yeah. century than it was in the first and second? No, it sure isn't. Uh I, I was over and we were working with the refugees and I was working with some um, other evangelical organizations um, and I'm uh, you know trying to trying to be as charitable as I can and and one of the pastors asked me uh, came well it came up that I, I complained of there being movie theaters being brought movie scenes things being brought up in in the camp mm. for the refugees and I said you know I really didn't want any of our volunteers being a part of that and and particularly, they were wanting to show these. He said, well, we're we, sorry. There was one that ended up having this this nudity scene, a brief nudity scenes, and all the refugees are hooting and hollering and, and all that. And, wow. and I said, this is terrible. And I said, well, yeah, we're sorry about that. We're going to try to make sure we just do things like Rambo movies and stuff like that. Oh, no. I said, wait a minute. I said, do you get it? I said, you know, um, we consider these things that make things like Rambo movies. What caused the Syrian refugee crisis? Mm. It's what's caused these wars. And we don't want to bring this in to these people that are ripe for the, the entire gospel. So he wanted to have breakfast with me the next day, a coffee. And we, so we met. And, and as we did, we, I said, you know, help me you know, with this. And I, and I said, so what, what's your method? And he, and he showed me a method of, of how you, you explain, he drew a picture. You know, what we like to do is we show a picture where this is us and, you know, we're on a, a, a ledge uh, and this is your sin. Yeah. And then we have a picture of a cross and the cross allows you to, to walk over the ledge and then you can come to Christ. Yeah. And then we, we have them come to Christ and we realize that through the promises, their sins are forgiven and all that. And, and then he had these little pictures and he said, and this is, you know, what we like to share. And... You know, not in any way to belittle um, the 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 salvation of Jesus Christ, the shed blood of Jesus Christ, and our need to be uh, free from sin. But I was just appalled at the idea that we use these little stories 
to to give the the the, the gospel message. Um, but see, the Bible is living and active, and it's it's um it has power in it, and so uh, and it has a promise attached to it that when we use the Bible to teach, and when we use the Word of God to teach, um, there's a grace that comes with that, and and. And instead of if we if I understand I mean I give lots of stories and uh, stories in my messages and lots of you know analogies and things like that and I think it's very good I, I really encourage preachers to do that but if if we've turned the gospel into stories and get away from the word of God it's really 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 dangerous um, and then taking that even the next level and you hit right onto it you know let's let's look at what that um, that passage says in, in the Great Commission, this is the Great Commission from Jesus Christ. I like to start at verse 16. Uh, so Matthew 28, verse 16. Mm. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee, <clears throat> excuse me, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshiped him. I think this is important. Mm. It began the Great Commission. But some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, and I think of this in the fear of this doubt. He wants us to know this. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. I mean, put your two kingdoms into that. All authority, both heaven and earth. And then he says in verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Again, this word disciples is a very important one. He's not just saying get people to commit to a, a sinner's prayer. He's not saying get people to <clears throat> just become agreed to a creed or a doctrine. We are called to make disciples. So until we get our Great Commission looking like this, we're not doing the Great Commission. Mm. He goes on, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And you're right on, verse 20. And baptism is part of the Great Commission. Let's mm. remember this. Absolutely. <clears throat> Verse 20, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Now, I, I went on to talk to this, this evangelical preacher, you know, about why we had the, our, our problem about using war movies in the, in the, in the camps and, and this type of a thing. And he said, well, you know, um, let's say uh, one of them join, become Greece and they join the, the Greek military and, and all. And you realize there was a concept that, that, that the teachings of Jesus really had no part in in the 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 way that the Great Commission was to be given. I mean, these are simple teachings. They can be understood by a child in every culture. Mm. And we talk about these beautiful things of the permanence of marriage, the non-resistance, the 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 radical views of economics, and all these things are simple teachings of Jesus Christ. And he clearly states in the Great Commission to observe all things that I have commanded. What are we supposed to teach? Should I do this method or this thing? Or should I use this little method over here? No, we are to teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And then here's my favorite part. If we do this, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. I heard a sermon, I use this a lot now, by Hudson Taylor III. I believe mm. he was the, the grandson of Hudson Taylor. The name of the sermon, don't forget the slogan, no go, no low. <laughs> hmm. That's so amazing. The passage is go into all the world doing these things that he said, 
and lo, I'll be with you. Several churches, particularly several, uh, I get disappointed seeing kingdom Christians, Anabaptist Christians, who begin to kind of think, um, oh, when I get it right here, when we get things right you know, uh, here polished enough, then we'll go. That's not the way the promise states. Mm. Go, and lo, I will be with you. And so he's promised, this is how the promise, no go, no low. If you want the low if you want, if, of his presence, then you have to go. And when we go, you're right on. This is exactly, he's made it very clear what the marching orders are. If, you know, I was an army man. If we were to go and I was, uh, I was given orders, okay, I want you to go and I want you to use this and this weapon, and I went into battle and I ignored those orders and thought I should use a totally different uh, weapons. And then I got into trouble on the battlefield. I, I would be court-martialed. I could be shot. Mm. These marching orders are very clear that we are to go to all the nations. We are to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're to make disciples. And while we do this, we are to teach them. We've been told to observe all things that he commanded him. We have his teachings. Why aren't we using it? So yeah, it's an incredible, incredible passage. Yeah, and you know one of the um, one of the things about the early Christian writings that's been so impactful to, for me is seeing uh, in these apologies where there'd be like Methetes, you know, letter to Diognetus or yep. Justin's yeah. or like Aristides. It it they they all detail how and Aristides just flat out says it how the Christians observe the pre precepts of their Messiah with much care living justly and soberly as the Lord their God commanded them. Like they detail so vividly how these early Christians took a very simple approach toward the teachings of Christ. By the time of uh, the end of the third century, uh, you see about a 10th of the Roman empire being Christian, Mm. which is just incredible because there's this idea that if we actually, like you were hitting on, uh, if we actually lived out the teaching of Jesus, we would not be effective. And like uh, the only thing that evil needs to prevail is for good men to do nothing. And they see basically yeah, living right. like Jesus right. being doing nothing. And yet it is so powerful. Um, you know, I've, I've been to, uh, I graduated from a Christian university from Houston Baptist University, um, got, my, got my degree in theology and then went to seminary, did that. And I have some Bible dictionaries, like the Dictionary of, of Jesus and the Gospels, Dictionary of Paul and his letters. And another dictionary that, I, that we were told to, rec- to get is the Dictionary of the Latter New Testament and its developments. This is from InterVarsity Press. I don't know if you're familiar with these, okay. these dictionaries. Okay. They're real thick and they have like lots of articles on things. In, okay. in that last one, the Dictionary of the, um, the Latter New Testament and its developments, there are all of these articles on different early Christian writers like Justin, uh, like the uh, letter to Diognetus, all these different early Christians, but they never, we never covered that. In fact, Mm -hmm. in like the Christian history classes in the, in the first three centuries, uh, basically what was brought up were the Gnostic heresies in those first three centuries. And maybe they talked about Tertullian going to um, Montanism, but they didn't highlight any of the early Christian doctrine. And basically the way it was presented to us is that real Christian uh, theology was put together by Augustine, right? In the the end Uh of the uh, Uh third or end of the fourth century and getting into the fifth. And so it's like Christianity really started to take shape then, (laughs) you know, after uh, right. Theodosius, right. Right. right, in in 386 or 387, right? 
it says that Christianity it. is now the religion of the Roman Empire. And so I was wondering, as you've, you're much more of a, a theologian than me, <laughs> by far, much more of a historian than me, uh, do you agree that in general, Christian academia in the West has intentionally downplayed the significance of the anti-Nicene writings? And if so, why do you think that is? Whoa. <laughs> All right. Part two. Uh, this will go for another hour. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is a very, very significant and important point. And I tell you now that I'm going through, um, <clears throat> hold on just a second. <clears throat> Now that I'm going through the the different, um, you know, going through my doctrinal studies in historical theology and going th- through all these thousands, literally thousands of pages of secondary sources that we're having to read through, I am nearly beside myself about the treatment of the Antonicenes by, uh, by these so-called historians. Um, I am... Um, I, I, you know, when I got out of the army, I, uh, the first church that I was part of is with David Rousseau. And so, um, young man, I'm in my twenties and we're there with a bunch of other young guys and we're, um, we're just picking up the We're just picking up the early church and reading them in the primary sources. I didn't even know there was such thing as a secondary source. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we just sat around and read Justin, read Tertullian, read Clement of Alexandria. And for what they said of the, you know, for, for what they had to offer. Hmm. Um, did that for years, and and that was how I came to the the early church. Now, as I'm going through my studies and going through the necessity of reading all the volumes of secondary sources written by these different different historians, and I I just sat amazed. Have these people even ever read the early church? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, the thing is just nonsense and. And some of the stuff that's being said about them is is um, just ridiculous. I, I, I'll, I'll show you a few examples. Mm. But there's something deeper. And your mention of why? Okay, so why? I, I'm really digging. So this summer, I had a um, a lot that we we were, I had to read through all of the the major text that they use, like in seminaries for systematic theology. I read Michael right. Hortons. I read. Grudem. thousand pages of that. I read um, several of the different ones that were out there. And here's what I find. You know, the, system, the whole concept of systematic theology is that you've got these different components that must be balanced, and that's the, that's the advantage of it. So you can't push this doctrine too far or you knock out that doctrine. And mm-hmm. so um, that's what systematic theologians do. I, I think there's some real errors in that. Biblical theology and historical theology is, is, my, is my take. But systematic theologians do this. Augustine, of course, was the first one. Literally, he took infant baptism of the practice in the 400s. And if you read his primary sources on that, he actually makes his, his argument for, um, for his idea of grace, his idea of predestination, his idea of the, the damnation of infants, based on he couldn't move the fact the church in the 400s was baptizing infants. Right. And so... <laughs> You see the systematic theologians working with these components, and they have to push one or the other. You particularly really get this to the Christological controversies and all that that follows. But here's the rub. The commands of Jesus are not one of those components. Right. They're not. And so you go through every one of these systematic theologian uh, theology books, you know, a thousand pages of this guy, a thousand pages of that guy, and you basically, you know, get 
who God is, and you have to argue Greek thought versus Hebrew thought, and then you come to to the Christ, and you then you get right into the Christological controversies. From there, you get to soteriology with salvation. From there, you know you get a little church, and then you might get a little ethics tacked in, but you never make it back to Jesus yeah. and his teachings and his commands for the earth. Um, and I'm arguing. Um, that those teachings of Jesus need to be a component in our systematic theology. Um, in other words, you can have this rub and this rub and push, and I don't mind you know, balancing it back and forth, but if you're not even at the starting point that you believe that Jesus meant every word he said, that you believe that his teachings were for um, humanity, then you're just dismissing it as some sort of a wishful thinking. I mean, you get nonsense said by people... Um, you know, in the late 1800s and 1900s, and, and especially up to today, that you know Matthew was Hebrew, and so that's why he had the sermon on you know to the Hebrew writers, and they try to just divide it up. And I, the one I read by a guy named Friend, F R E N D, 980 pages of him. Mm. I just read the semester, um, just going through nonsense about trying to divide the the people of God, um, the teachings of God, away from the teachings of Christ, Whoa. and it, it's just. It's a real mess. Um, so with the scholars, I do. I think there's a systematic problem going on. Let me show you examples here of, of reading. I was just doing this semester, okay, in my historical theology classes. So, um, so what they try to do is, and they're all doing this, is try to pretend like that the early church are naive or mm. that they are um, they're coming of age later on and, and that it was these things were complicated to them. Um, like here, um, reading Friend, F-R-E-N-D, in his huge historical theology book, 980 pages, um, he says, you know, he's talking about Origen's book to, on his work to Celsus. Um, he said, uh, here it is. By the time he wrote Celsus, that is about 248, mm. he was already looking forward to the Christianization of the world and harmony between church and empire. <laughs> And I wrote, what? No chance. <laughs> Are you kidding me? And I wrote in there, did you ever read volume four, page 668 in this work on Celsus where he goes through and he articulates perfectly yeah. what he means about this. When he, were t when he was talking about Clement of Alexandria. Mm. So here he's talking about Clement of Alexandria and he says, uh, Clement won his argument and his place in Alexandrian Christian theology. He demonstrated that Christianity could be an optimistic and rational creed that made the highest demands on human morality mm. while requiring acceptance of the rule of the church and its essential articles of faith. Yeah. But then he goes on to say, Platonism had been gained for orthodoxy. Nonetheless, Clement's ideals would not have been, would not have been unacceptable to his Gnostic opponents and seems even to be more Buddhist than Christian. Mm. And I was like, where do you, oh you know, did you, have you ever read Clement of Alexandria? Right. When he gets to the, the generally summing up Christian in the, in the Roman Empire, his chapter on Christian and Roman Empire, um, he goes and he says, attitudes of war were more complicated in the West. And that reminds me of when I was holding that M203 grenade launcher and trying to put on an M16 and say, oh, it's just so complicated. Yeah. It's not complicated. Right. Um, 
and he talks about the East having confusion of thought and this type of a thing. And I, there was one of my guys in my historical theology class, and and we were talking about this. I said, so let's 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 give these guys the credit. Where's the complication? Let's let's find them. We're the historians now. Where are these these sources that that we should be able to look at and see these things are complicated? And they're not. It's 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 they they first of all they don't understand two kingdom Christianity. They see things that they think is is showing if they pray for the emperors or something else that they see as, as something and 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 totally ignoring the simple Christ-like Jesus following movement that the early church was about. And so I think you're right on that it's a there is a purposeful thing. But oh yeah, this is what I was thinking to say before I was distracted by the weed eater. Sure. Um, there is seeming to be an acceptance of some Anabaptist thinking some kingdom thinking in the academic circles and realizing that perhaps some of these that were writing in the eighties and the nineties were more, um, close to those things. And I, and I have, I have, I have felt a, a welcome to, to be able to see these and interpret these, um, histories from a different perspective. Hmm. And I like that trend. And I think that we should walk in, um, advocating it more and more. Yeah. I mean, like, just as Polycarp or Ignatius would be a good source to look at if you want to understand the writings of John, you know, with them being disciples of him, like Origen would be a great source to look at if you want to understand Clement of Alexandria with them both coming out of that area. And Amen. Yet, yeah, Amen. It's, it's just ridiculous how we approach the historical aspect of, of the faith. It's, yeah. man. But I'm so glad that, you know, you're not just someone who, uh, like me, unfortunately, <laughs> can like just kind of pick at modern Christianity and not do very much about it. Like you're actually doing something about it, not just in the community with the followers of the way, but you actually started a college uh, mm -hmm. to help promote these values of the kingdom of God. And so would you please tell us a little bit about Sattler College? Uh, <laughs> Sattler College is amazing. Um, so what can I say about Sattler College? So a few years ago, uh, you know, Brother Finney Caravella, uh, who is an amazing brother, um, truly amazing brother, um, got a vision for this. And he, he comes very well educated. He did his, his bachelor's from Caltech. Um, he did his, he did, went to Harvard and got his MD and PhD from Harvard. Uh, while he was bored, he grabbed a, a master's degree from MIT in computer <laughs> science. And then, and then in all that, you know, starts several different companies and things. And, and he realizes that you know the in all in all that in the top countries on earth, I'm mean, excuse me, the top colleges on earth, and realizes education is broken. Mm -hmm. Education is broken in America, and we need to do something about. It. And and from a Christian perspective, it's scandalous, scandalously broken. Mm -hmm. And so he started getting a vision and thinking that somehow we've got to be able to do something about this. You know, just hiding or retreating. Cannot be, you know. Many of the even Anabaptists are starting to send their 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 young people to Liberty, um, even online Liberty. I mean, I it's hard to imagine. I mean, we forget history so often of how um, easy it is for us to get into the the, the Republican right agenda and that type of a thing. Right. And and they we think that that's innocuous and that we can do those things and be a part of that, even support stuff like that. And it's um, it's really a bad idea. But so he began to see, could it be possible to do this and to do it in Boston? It's absolutely impossible to do this. It, was, it would have been a crazy idea if I would have talked to him years ago when he was dreaming this up, and, but he was able to pray through this, push this through, and sure enough, here we are in Boston 
And uh, we were approved by the state of Massachusetts to offer these degrees, and we're right here in the center of things. It, it is truly amazing. It's a kingdom school, and you know, and we have people coming from all different backgrounds. And again, I, the Lord has blessed me to be around incredible people. We've got a staff that's amazing. I've got Zach Johnson, who was another convert from um, the war. Uh, hmm. he, uh, he was uh, going to Harvard, and but when he got converted to kingdom thinking, and um, and he's our dean of students. I got Michael Miller, who was working with Bob Jones for 30 years, and he came to us also, uh, was interested in non-resistance, and he contacted us and said, could you use someone who has experience and accreditation? Wow. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> yes, you're hired. He's been amazing. Uh, Kevin Derevin, uh, uh, done a CFO at Hellenic, um, which is another, uh, it's an Orthodox college for years, um, Clark Ray, this guy comes from a, a German Baptist in California, amazing young man, young man. Now that we just went to all this chaos and, and online stuff, he was right there just doing it. Um, different people, Jeremy Brackett came doing, wanting to do kingdom business. And lots of the faculty has been just amazing, people from, from the different degrees and things that we're able to offer. And all of this with a commitment to our founding precepts and that we will not compromise on these things and we want to go forward. Um, so, so every degree. So first of all, we feel that the kingdom people, the Anabaptists, the kingdom-minded people need vocations for their, for their young people. So yeah. we are here to offer those, those vocations. So we got uh, an MD or a pre-med degree in bio, that's like a, or a biology doesn't have to be pre-med, um, yeah. a degree in biology, we, which has been amazing. We have a, a degree in business, and a, uh, a man came to us, Will Oliver, who was teaching that, done an incredible job. And with this business, it's a kingdom business focus, which yeah. has been really impressive. And that's another whole lecture sometime. But as I've seen with the missionary work abroad, that the borders are going up. And if we want to get into these places, um, I really think businesses are the way to go. And yeah. so we're offering this vision to get these young people to start businesses, be able to support their family and do it with kingdom purposes right out of the gate. And that's our vision, either home or abroad. Um, computer science. We have um, a PhD from MIT teaching our computer science program. Just amazing mm. what opportunities that a degree and that could be for missionary work or, or different places. Um, then we have our, our humanities with history, the history for people you thinking, teaching, um, um, different teaching, teaching things, and amazing professors, um, in that department that are coming to us and just doing a great job. It's been, it's been, I, I, I get jealous. They, these guys are studying the classics and they're sort of reading Homer and the different, you know, different Greek classics mm -hmm. and things. And then bringing that into the thought of like, what did Paul run into when he was in Athens? And when you right. see it's, it's, it's been amazing taking those students who've had understood this classic thinking, then we bring them into the theology classes and teach them that. Um, it's been great to see the connection. Every major, it doesn't matter if you're med school, I mean, you're, you're heading towards med school or if you're heading towards business, or you're, we also have a, a biblical, a very active biblical and religious studies. But every major, uh, you get, everybody learns biblical Hebrew, biblical Greek, which mm. we... Um, 
um, use the conversational style. So literally people are walking up and having conversations and eating their meals um, based upon biblical Hebrew and biblical Greek. It's a, wow. it's a great method that we're using. Um, Angel Emicella comes um, to us in that, doing a great job. Um, the, the apologetics, they all have historical theology. They all learn um, Bible doctrines and these things, and that's in every major. So we have a very big kingdom focused on that. Then we make uh, we 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 made these um, discipleship groups that everybody ha- gets to be in. So we line up in like four to to three to four um, in a discipleship group, and this is one of the most important things because we believe that in higher ed people are losing the faith, and they're and and with the media and the world that we're entering into, getting habits of being a disciple is so important to us. So we get real with each other. Uh, we talk about our internet use. We, we ask the, the young men flat out, have you looked at anything pornographic? Have you looked at anything worldly? Are you evangelizing um, this week? Are you connecting with your family and your church? Um, are, you, um, you know, are you having your devotions every day? And we hold each other accountable and walk through that. And that's been amazing. And we're hoping that uh, four years of that training and we'll just then give these tools and these habits of being able to go out into you know the world um, with with strength. And so I've been I've been really really amazed by by working at Sattler College. And so the I I feel it's one of the most incredible things happening right now. And if and if and and to if you are a serious-minded Christian, particularly with kingdom values, I mean, I, I can't imagine a greater opportunity that you would have for that. There's just, it's, it's really something special. It, it seems impossible, but by the grace of God, he's doing it. And now, in the middle of this coronavirus, we're like saying, okay, Lord, what does this mean? And it's mm-hmm. raising us up to think creative, more online. It's why I was able to do this interview with you today. Yeah. I mean, okay, we got to get our act together with this, and we're just excited to see what God is doing. All of the majors in the in the senior year is going to have a capstone, and so in that capstone, um, we're hoping to see in each of these majors them to be putting the uh, their what they've learned in their three and a half years um, into practice in and wherever uh, God has called them. So I'm really excited to be a part of Sattler College, and I find it a tremendous blessing. Man, that is, I wish <laughs> I could on. go back 20 years yeah, to when yeah. I was in college, you know, and do it this way. Cause like, I remember, um, my philosophy class and I'm so glad I took philosophy at like a Christian university because it helped me see the, you know, Locke or yeah, Hume and yeah. all those people from a Christian perspective. Like how would we almost like a polemical approach to that poking holes in those theologies rather than yeah. promoting them like an apologetic way that you would get maybe at like UT or something like that. Right. And, uh, but man, if I could go back and, and get these classes from a kingdom perspective, man, that would, that would we, save we me do, a lot I, of heartache, it this. seems. We do have a one-year certificate program, and we started this for a lot of pastors, like especially in the Anabaptist world, a lot of pastors don't have a formal theological training. Yeah. Um, and so we come, they can come for one year and then study. They hit all of our major um, biblical things. And so they, you study the biblical Greek, you look at the apologetics, the mm-hmm. historical theology, the evangelism, discipleship, and some of those classes, and you can do that in a one-year certificate program. I think you'd have a great time. Man, that's great. <laughs> That's so neat, man. Well, is there um, is there a final word of encouragement or some advice that you'd like to give our listeners? 
Hmm. Well, I, I would say this. Um, Jesus made this very simple. He put all of this into two words. Follow me. Hmm. And our salvation, our theology, our way of life, our constitution, our king, our everything is the very person of Jesus Christ. And the more we can be like him, think like him, talk like him, put his ways into practice, believe his ways to be for this generation, the more, the more we can do that, the better off we'll be. Um, Mother Teresa, if you mind, quoting Mother Teresa said, it's simple, but it's not easy. Uh, and, I, and I found that to be true. It is very simple. Jesus promises his yoke is easy. It means it's fit well. Um, but it's, it is a life. And as I've tried from the time, you know, 30 years ago, uh, asking the question, what if Jesus really meant every word he said? And when you, we allow his teachings to just sit like a seed inside of us, it just continues to change us and continues to be it because it's really, really, really about him. It's completely about Jesus Christ. And we want to glorify him. We want to honor him. And we want to put his teachings and his ways into practice on this world. So I'll bring it down to those two words. Follow him. Follow Jesus Christ.
spirit.